Hey guys, thanks for joining us again for this week on the alt-right. We have a special guest today, Richard Spencer. Um, so Richard, maybe you can say hi and tell us what you've been up to recently. I think everyone is familiar with the other guests on the panel. Uh, sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, first and foremost. And um, what have I been up to recently? Uh, it is hard to uh, keep up with myself sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing so much. Uh, I, I would actually say that we're uh, MPI is actually hosting a conference on the 19th of November. And uh, we are going forward. We were actually um, denied by the Ronald Reagan building. Uh, as I, I think that 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 was uh, in the papers a little bit, but um, we have given you know five conferences, I believe, of the Ronald Reagan Building in the past, and all of them have gone very well. Uh, we've always paid our bills, to say the least, uh, and uh, and we've always dealt with the Reagan Building in the in in the best way possible, um, and they dealt with us very politely and uh, professionally. Uh, but uh, at the last minute, they said, oh, due to security concerns, uh, they cannot host us. Um, so we are privatizing the conference. So the conference will go on. So everyone should come as usual. And we're going to be updating everyone on how we're going to do it. But it's going to be a much more uh, low-key, casual event. But it will still be great. And you'll still get to meet everyone. And there'll be speakers. And Kevin McDonald will be there. I'll be speaking. Some other special guests. And um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be more low key. So people can hopefully forgive us. I think they'll actually like it better, <laughs> in a way, uh, being a private event. So, um, But we're going to deal with the Ronald Reagan building going forward. I mean, um, we might have to engage in legal action against the Reagan building because this idea that a a public facility would uh, deplatform us would be absolutely terrible for the alt right in general, and and you could even say other political groups as well. Um, so we are definitely going to fight this, and uh, we we need to use public facilities. You know, so um, it's going to be a big battle, but um, you know, that's that's kind of what life on the alt right's like these days. Yeah, someone um, is asking, are you going to live stream it? No, uh, okay. we will not live stream it. Um, because it is a private event, we do not want to, uh, in a live fashion, give out any information about what's happening. Okay. Um, but we will record it. So we'll put that up You know, the day after, you know, couple, two days after, something like that. But uh, we will not live stream it. Great. Well, we've we've actually had loads of questions come in from the audience right now. They're coming in live, um, but I want to give Steve and Mark the opportunity to chat with you or ask you anything first if they have if they want to sure. do that. Sure. I'm just gonna grab my coffee here. Sure. Yeah, I'll throw out some questions. I mean, obviously, both you and I had the privilege of being on television last night. You were on a documentary. I was on a documentary. It was like a we had a whole transatlantic documentary thing going. Um, I was busy giving out tourist advice. I mean, to anyone in the audience, I hear Latvia is a lovely place at this time of year. It's overwhelmingly white. There's no degenerates. And if lefties turn up, apparently they get their heads kicked in, which is a great thing. So if you can speak Latvia, and I suggest moving there, you know, it's an absolutely lovely place. You see, my documentary, that's all they really had. It was a bit of a damp squib. Um, not many people watched it. And Matthew Collins, the Hope Not Hate reporter, he kind of came over as a porcine slob who is obviously jealous of us all because he has no life. 
and looks like a complete neckbeard who most likely lives in his mum's basement. He sat there sweating profusely and gurning as he threw out insults about people who are far better than he is. So how did your documentary go last night? Uh, well, I've, I've seen this clip that's been going around. I don't know if there was more to it, uh, but it was me uh, engaged in a conversation with an, an Englishman, um, or at least he, uh, he thinks he is. I, I, what was his name? Gary someone? Uh, um, I, I can't remember his name. But we, uh, I actually met him in July uh, at the American Renaissance Conference. And, uh, and Gary Young, yes. And um, it, it was it was interesting. We um, it was a kind of surprise interview. So I uh, I had been contacted by his um, his uh, handlers or his, you know administrators, and uh, we set up this interview. And I walked outside, and then they they brought him in at the last moment. I wonder if they thought that I I wouldn't talk with a with a African or something, which is obviously um, not the case at all. I, I'm perfectly happy to talk with. Uh, uh, space aliens or, or or white people or anyone um, uh, but anyway we uh, we had a conversation and um, I, I think I said some things that he, he would say whenever someone I mean there are some stupid ideas out there but whenever people do say oh this is just ridiculous is stupid I think that is that's very often a sign not always but very often a sign that you're opening up their mind, like you're you're actually putting forward a, a way of thinking that they've never considered before, and and that was the case uh, when we talked about the history of Africans in the United States. Uh, I think it's clear that I, I said Africans have ultimately benefited from what you could call white supremacy. They've they've ultimately benefited from um, living in the United States, and that of course doesn't mean that there wasn't a tremendous amount of pain. Uh, involved with all that. Um, the relations between whites and, and Africans have, have been terrible. Uh, but the fact is, Africans uh, live a much, much better life. Former slaves have a much, much better life in the United States uh, than Africans living in Africa. It just seems like an obvious point. I don't know really how anyone could gainsay it, to be honest. That, of course, offended him. Um, and then he, he went into this, I, I, I talked about, I said, we're losing our nations. And, uh, and, and, and it really is a, a, a white thing. It, you know, what is happening in the United States um, is happening in Britain. It's happening in Germany. Um, it's even happening in some of these uh, Central and, and Eastern European nations that have been kind of sequestered from mass immigration and, and multiculturalism, like Poland and Hungary and even Russia. Uh, and I said, it's, it's happening everywhere. It, it, is, it, is, it, it is our trial for the next century. And he says, oh, I'm fine. You know, what's the problem? I was like, well, yeah, that's because uh, your people are, are winning uh, this immigration battle. And, uh, and I think we, we then, you know, talked a little bit about the, the difference between, um, you could say, nationality or identity and a passport or civic identity or, or, or citizenship or so on. Um, I am a citizen of the United States, no doubt. He's a citizen of the United Kingdom. Uh, congratulations! Um, uh, we have different. We have these little passports, and it's 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 wonderful. But the fact is that that says something about your identity, but it doesn't really say at all, and it, it doesn't even get close to saying at all. An identity is much deeper than than the government to which one pays taxes. Um, and at some level, Gary Young 
will never be an Englishman. He will never be an Englishman. And despite the fact that I am an American, I was born in the United States, my family's been here a while, um, I, I actually have a claim to Englishness that is deeper and greater than his. Um, and uh, that, uh, I guess, kind of blew his mind or, <laughs> or got, him, got him a little bit angered. And he left the interview. So I was standing there. I, I mean, the interview was heated, but I was perfectly willing to go on. But he, of course, stormed off and, and left. But uh, I've been getting amazing feedback from the whole thing. So um, I don't know if there was more uh, to the whole the, the documentary, uh, which I haven't seen. But the, the part that I've seen that's been going around YouTube and Twitter, I mean, I, I think it's a 100% great. Um, I... I in a, in a provocative and bold fashion, I was able to communicate our ideas, uh, identitarian ideas. So, when? <laughs> it was excellent. And what I'll say is, I mean, I'm, I'm actually obviously watching the comments as they roll in from the um, stream. And I can see that the, the next up video for me is Gary Young interviews Richard Spencer. Africans have benefited from white supremacy. The Guardian, 150,401 views. So to say it's gone viral <laughs> is a bit of an understatement. And I, 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 can say, um, I can say this that your documentary obviously had a, a much bigger effect than the Hope Not Hate hit piece, which seems to have been watched by absolutely no one, because despite their boasts before the event and their happiness that they were going to be blogging throughout, I think even on their own Facebook, they've had about 20 or 30 likes and about half a dozen to a dozen comments. So that really, that hit piece that was meant to destroy the alt-right in the UK, has just fallen flat on its face. And it seems everyone was watching you school Gary Young on uh, what it is to be English, which is something I obviously fundamentally agree on because I, I said this in an interview myself, um, which hasn't actually gone out yet. I don't know whether it'll ever go out. But I said, if I moved to Nigeria and took on a Nigerian passport um, and took a white wife with me, no one would call myself or my wife Nigerian and if I had white children in Nigeria, no one would call them Nigerian. And you can, you can also take this to its logical extension by saying every time people talk of whites who live in South Africa, they call them white South Africans. They don't simply call them South Africans. The only countries that are meant to take on other ethnicities and call them indigenous are countries which are essentially white, Europe and, or um, America. I'd like to add as well that YouGov, which is um, one of the big polling companies for the UK, I think it is, um, they they say that 37% of the general British population do not consider people to be British if they are foreign with British citizenship. And that is the case for 45% of Conservative voters and 52% uh, of people who voted for Brexit. So quite a sizable number of British people, you know, recognize that blood is more important than paperwork. Well, it's also amusing. Uh, Millennial Woes uh, tweeted this. I need to give him credit. Um, but he, he said, you know, Gary Young, um, are you going to apologize for, for the British Empire? Like, you, you know, you need to apologize for slavery. <laughs> if you're going to be an Englishman, you got to take on the whole kit and caboodle, you, you know, and it is kind of funny how, um, you know, in a way, like we're all blamed for, uh, you know, British imperialism or, or um, slavery in, in America or, or the Holocaust or, or, or so on. 
but uh, we all get blamed for that. Um, but then, uh, uh, effectively, these new Americans and new uh, new Englishmen are, are somewhat immune to that history. Yet they they want to be called Englishmen, nonetheless. It's it's pretty amusing. Yeah, and I thought it was amusing that it was very obvious when he first came in on his car that um, he already knew the narrative he wanted. He's like, I think I have these all right people figured out that they're, they're fascists. And he was very sure of himself. So when he started the conversation, he was very clearly going in with that angle and he was going to leave with that particular angle. So, and then, then when, as soon as you started winning the conversation, he did what all people I try to debate with do is, oh, you're just ignorant or you're not the one I need to talk to. You can't explain this movement to me. So, yeah, it ended very typically, and I think it made you look better than it made him, honestly. Well, wasn't I don't doubt that, him. yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a good look for him to get really triggered and then storm off. Uh, and, and something I'll add, and I've been saying this in previous weeks, and James Alsop said something to the effect of, and I'm sure others have said this, that we are basically, America's become a big shopping mall. And what I find striking is that all these third worlders pour into the first world, and then they're all so happy to share the benefits of the first world. Like this is their heritage to just give away. There's something really insulting and contemptuous about their behavior when they, they act this way. Oh, well, I'm an Englishman too. It's my heritage to give away. And I think he even, I think he even to respond to what you were saying, Richard, I think he wrote an article where he was apologizing for slavery at some point. And this was linked to Millennial Woe's tweet. And it's just oh my God. so remarkable. I almost want to praise him for his consistency there. But it's yeah. it's just ridiculous too, right. you know. I mean, it, no, obviously, M millennial woes was trolling him. He was off. He was asking a provocative question that that basically demonstrated the the inconsistency and illogic of of the of Gary Young. Um, but that that's funny that Gary Young did that. But it, it's 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 absolutely silly. No, um, obviously the 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 British Empire, it, you know, it, it was birthed out of you know our imagination and and will to power and 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 political. Uh, destiny and so on. So um, yeah, no, he doesn't need to take blame or credit for it. <laughs> um, but you know that it's it is pretty it, it is amusing. But I I think at some level like there's there is this inconsistency in 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 postmodern discourse you could say um, where it it seems to be between two things that between two poles. And, uh, and, and one of those polls is an older, you could say, 18th or 19th century idea of republicanism and citizenship and, and so on that existed within the white world. You know, and, and when republicanism was, was emerging in the 18th century, I mean, no, no one, well, you would have occasional places, but those are on the edges. But, 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 but effectively, I mean, the, the identity of a Frenchman, at least racially speaking, was not in question. Uh, it might be in question, religiously speaking, or, or or regionally speaking, but it wasn't in question in terms of race and civilization. There was an idea that oh, we can all be citizens. We're going to, we're we're going to erase class and aristocracy and all that kind of stuff. But racially speaking, nothing was really in dispute. So we have this older republicanism, and then we have this newer ideology of diversity, which. I mean, I I get it. I I I know that it is absolutely anti-white in, in the in its dynamic, um, but at the same time, the diversity narrative is a kind of identitarian narrative, so to speak. It it is about how oh, an African American 
you, you know, if just to think of you as a Democrat or as a, a an American citizen, no, 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 that's not getting at the deepness of your being. You know, you're something more than that. You you have a history, and you are actually even connected with Africans on the continent. Um, and you could say that about an an, an Indian or an Asian. Uh, or 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 whomever who who is in the United States, like they they ha there's something more than an American, and I think this is something that that in a way white people were trying to get at too. Um, so we're we're kind of between two paradigms at the moment, between a a Republican older now centuries old paradigm of Republicanism and that kind of nationalism, and a and 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 a kind of and an identitarianism at the same time, and and, and this is where. You know, when when one's speaking one language and and someone else is speaking the other language, you it's difficult to communicate. Yeah, uh, when it comes to people like in Gary's situation, so so it seems his ancestors were shipped off to Central America and then he came back and moved to the UK, basically, or his parents moved to UK. Um, I can you know I can kind of sympathise that he may not really identify with Africans. Um, if he's never, you know, some people in that situation, they've never been to Africa. They've never, you know, really even hung out with African Africans, like even African Americans, they don't like hanging out with the African Africans, you know, they do have a slightly different culture, slightly different background. Um, so I, you know, I can kind of see how they might try to latch onto the country that they're living in, uh, out of, you know, lack of being associated with any other culture. Um, you know, maybe from a cultural perspective, but it, I do think it's interesting, you know, he's obviously very defensive about, you know, protecting the narrative about blacks being victims and that's ethnic and group preference, we can see right there. So it, it is interesting um, to observe and I, I would like for us to come to a solution on this. What would your solution be for someone such as Gary um, Richard? Um, I think Richard might be having some trouble, technical problems. All right, I'm good yep. now. <laughs> Did you catch the question? question? Uh, ask the question again. I'm okay. good now. My phone rang and it got thrown no over worries. to my laptop and all. No worries. Yeah, I know that kind of thing. Um, okay, so I was asking with someone like Gary, his. Uh, ancestors were shipped off to Central America and his parents moved to the UK. So he doesn't necessarily have a very strong connection with Africa or Africans or African culture, yet he clearly still has in-group preference for Africans. Right. We can observe that. So, I mean, what do you think we should do with someone like him um, from an abstract ethnostate uh, perspective? Well, I mean, it's a very tricky question um, because, you know, if Gary Young, say, 50 or, or 100 years ago, could have been some eccentric guy, you know, a, a one, literally one in a million type person who was a, a foreigner in another land. Um, and and, and there, there's a certain, you know, there's certain problems with that. And there's a certain kind of personal tragedy with that of not being rooted, never being at home. Uh, but Gary Young in the modern world, the multicultural world, um, he is part of a, a new community that's really been created over the past uh, 25 years, really. And, and that is non-whites 
who have very large communities living in white countries or formerly white countries like Britain and the United States or, or wherever. So, I mean, there is going to be a new identity for the refugees and their children and wives and whatever in Germany, say, that is going to be, you know, connected to the Middle East, obviously, or, or, or Africa, but, but, but is different. Um, you know, it, it's a, a diaspora uh, kind of identity. Um, so I think that's where Gary is right now. He's, he's, I, I agree. It's not like he just came off the boat. He's not like an illegal Mexican migrant who could easily be sent home to his family, you know, uh, immediately. It's, it's a much more difficult thing. Um, so I, I think we have to recognize that is the identity of, of Gary and people like him right now. Now in the future, in the sense of what we could do with, with an ethno state, um, th again, uh, a, a very tricky question, and I, I don't think there are any easy solutions um, for, say, African Americans in the United States. Um, could they be given, you know, do we want to send them back to Africa? Is that a bit fantastical? Or could, could they be given a part of this continent or a part of uh, this hemisphere that we could create for them? Uh, li using Liberia as an example of a way that we were able to create a new order for, for former African slaves. Um, using even something like Puerto Rico as an example of a place that could be uh, semi-sovereign, but, but it ultimately has a, 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 you know, is ultimately dealt with in a paternalistic way by the homeland. Uh, I would be fine with that, and that might be the most humane solution. Uh, simply, you know, sending Africans you know, off to Africa and saying, you know, good luck or something that that might not not quite be tenable, but um, offering them, you know, their their own place and then dealing with them in a paternalistic fashion uh, going forward, um, that would probably be the most humane uh, solution, but but really allowing them to be themselves, you know, um, the you know, really in encouraging them to to reconnect with their roots um, to, to love themselves and to, and to kind of chart their own destiny. But at the same time, I, I think we probably will have to take care of these populations um, uh, for the foreseeable future. I think Trump has the right idea here. He's pumping the economy up, and I think that's going to ease race relations for the time being. I think it's going to allow us to pursue means by which we can come to amicable, amicable solutions between us all. So I think it's going to take time and there's no real uh, answer that's readily apparent. So I, I'm not sure economic, uh, I'm not sure the, the kind of economic growth that we're, we've been seeing recently is going to soothe over uh, um, racial anxieties. I, I know um, one fantasy of, of Bannon and Bannonism is that there's going to be this economic nationalism and uh, we're all going to be, you know, doing manufacturing or, or, or steel or, or, or so on. And we're going to, and everyone's going to get rich and have middle-class families and, and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't really buy it, uh, to be honest. And, and so much of the, the, the postmodern economy is a uh, kind of win-lose situation where there's a you know tremendous amounts of wealth are, are generated at the top. Um, you could go tell a lot of Americans or Britons or so on, you know, uh, just how well they're doing. You know, GDP grew by four percent or whatever. I, I'm not sure they're gonna 
really believe you. Um, and uh, so I, I'm not sure there's a real economic solution uh, to all this. And um, and just to add on that, you know, I mean, we haven't had a big crash um, for almost a decade now. And uh, so we're probably due for one. My issue with these people like Gary Young is it, a complex one because on one hand, they, they do have a passport and they like to claim they're English or British and they like to throw that in our face. Say, well, I'm English, I've got this passport. But their English identity isn't really an English identity because they constantly attack the English or the British. And that's where I see this huge conflict of interests. On one hand, they're waving the passport in our faces as if to rub you know, it, it in our faces that, you know, their identity breaks our sort of boundaries. Uh, they don't believe ethnicity has any component to being English or being British. And that's something that, you know, they used to rub in our face. But at the same time, after they've claimed they're English or British, they then seek to destroy that identity by constantly chipping away at our values, our cultures, our traditions. So you have somebody, like let's take for example, Diane Abbott. She's a woman who um, constantly attacks, constantly attacks our way of life, constantly undermines it, constantly tries to redefine what it is to be British. Well, I would say to these people, obviously, when we take power, when we get to where we want to be. I don't think we will ever get a 100% white nation, but we would aim for something which I think would be sustainable around 95%. If one in 20 was not of European origin, I think that would be an acceptable level. But those who remain have to, have to buy into our vision of what England, Britain, Germany, France, or America is. The ones that remain have to be on board with our ideas of how the world is and have to support our cultures and our traditions and want to fit in with that. We can't have people staying here, waving the passport while putting a middle finger up to us all and a middle finger up to our culture. Because people like Gary Young, people like Diane Abbott, they have been used by the internationalists as a wrecking ball with which to destroy and undermine our society. No question. That was just more my perspective, really. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm curious to hear uh, Richard's perspective on this. You know, um, a lot of people ask what percentage uh, white does a, does a state need to be, you know, for it to be healthy. Um, what would your opinion be on that, Richard? Yeah, I, I, I agree with much of what Mark said. Um, I, I don't think that we are going to reach a state of 101% uh, uh, homogeneity or so on. I, I think, you know, in, in the world in which we live, where there is going to be global trade, um, you know, we, we live in a world of, of amazing revolutions in terms of transportation, where one can, you know, buy a $200 flight from from Africa to to London, there 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 will be communication with the rest of the world. There there will be tourists and businessmen and and all sorts of things. Uh, I think the main the main the main issue is that on a national basis that the the, the people um, that uh, that our people are going to dominate on that sense. And I and I think maybe even more important than that, more important than getting in a number like. You know, 19 out of 20 people are, are going to be 
uh, uh, European and, and of, you know, and in Britain of those, you know, at least 10 are going to be, you know, Anglo-Saxon stock or something. I mean, we can argue about details and percentages, but maybe even more important than that is that we have an elite that is a, that, that understands uh, these concepts and that, that wants to protect our people. Um, you know, most of, most white people more or less agree with us. You know, they're not going to articulate it in the way that we would um, and, and so on. They're, they're not going to take the risks that we take in terms of being, you know, unpolitically correct. Uh, but the fact is they, they do fundamentally want to live in, in a home, uh, someplace they're comfortable. But the problem really is the elite. And so I, I think more important than that question of, oh, oh is it, you know, uh, nine out of 10 or, or 19 out of 20 or something, it, it more important than that is really that we have an elite class that is fundamentally reoriented, that, that is fundamentally different than our current elite class. And that we have elite an elite class that stands above the interest of business. Um, we, we, an elite class that does not believe that a, a, a businessman, because he wants to profit, can bring in millions of, of, of migrant laborers or something like that. That we have elite class that stands above the you know, whims of, of fashion and fashionable ideologies like globalism and multiculturalism. Uh, that, that, we, that we have an elite class that wants to protect the nation, that there's that, that sense of a, if not, it doesn't have to literally be this, I'm not a, a neo-reactionary, but that sense of a king and his folk, a king and his people. Um, what we have now are, you know, popular sovereignty, perhaps, and they elect these representatives who who don't seem to actually have much power at all, at least on the the issues that really matter. And then we have this kind of in, you know invisible elite class of of high finance and uh, masters of the universe uh, who are creating a a new world, a world that the people certainly never vote on. Um, I I don't I'm not really a Democrat in the sense that I I, I think we should just give all you know we should put everything up through a referendum or. Or, and I, I'm very critical of representative democracy, uh, I would say that we, we really need an elite that thinks of themselves as, as a king of the race, as a king of our civil, whole civilization. And uh, I think that is actually more important than demographics. Uh, dem that's not to say the demographics aren't important, but you know, elites make history. Um, and the people, and I, I don't, you know, the people kind of go along for the ride. In a way, and I, I don't mean that to seem, you know, snobby or contemptuous, but it, it, elites have just an, a, a, a tremendous amount of power and sway in history, and so we need to reach elites, and we need to, in a way, form a new elite. We might have to become a new elite, but, but, but that's how we need to think about these things. Um, that that is more important than demographics, in my my estimation. I agree with that completely. I think people tend to operate a little bit better when they have a hierarchy, when they have authority. And if we could find a new way to group them together where they serve the common purpose of the actual ethnostate, that's when we'd be great. The only thing that I tend to think about that worries me with the current dynamic is if we were to somehow get the ethnostate, it's going to be extremely prosperous just because of we are and how white people work and there's always going to be envy of that there's always going to be people on the outside who are going to want in and I would really want us to have that strong 
racial awareness that we so want our people to have, to have that strong consciousness and sense of togetherness. Because right now, you could call it uh, pathological altruism, I'm not sure what some people call it, but uh, so many right now would be willing to cater to those on the outside. So if we were to do it, I would want us to have not only that sense of hierarchy and wanting to follow the leader a bit, but a sense of togetherness, because otherwise, we, just like now, we wouldn't have borders that we could maintain because it's going to be very prosperous no matter what we do, and people are going to want in. No doubt. Well, Richard, something I wanted to put to you, and perhaps I'm not familiar enough with your works, but I was wondering what you thought of the prospect of anti-discrimination laws being struck down in the United States, like the Civil Rights Act. What are the prospects of that? Uh, well, in the, in the immediate term, I, I think the prospects of that are are very very low. Um, I you know could we have something like that in the future? Where this is in a way maybe what you're gesturing at is a kind of libertarian solution to all this, so that we could get rid of um, anti discrimination laws. Uh, we could really rethink a lot of the judicial system and the you know disparate impact. Uh, type legislation and decisions, and that we could have a, a a a kind of libertarian order with a right of free association. Um, I, I think that would be very nice, um, but I I just don't see that happening. And 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 one of the reasons why is that in order for even something like that to happen, which is more reasonable and which actually is more liberal in a in a classic sense of the word, um, we are going to have to undergo a, a paradynamic change in terms of how we understand ourselves. Um, and I, I, I don't know what to say. Um, it, it's, it, if, we're going to, if we're going to undergo such an emotional and philosophical and spiritual change, uh, then we might as well just create <laughs> no state. Um, the other thing is, I, I, it does sound a bit like unilateral disarmament to me. Um, where it's kind of like a live and let live, or you know, just stay away from us and we'll stay away from you. And I, I don't, I'm not just not sure that's how the world works. Um, people will never leave us alone. I mean, people will never stop wanting to come here. People will never stop. Leave, will leave the gate, and to some extent, uh, we won't leave them alone. Um, you know, uh, 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 white people have a. <laughs> have a drive to go around the world and uh, and we do have this you know within our own race we have our own not not it's not really even a jewish question we we have a bit of a white question we we have this you know humanitarian uh um run amok uh humanitarianism run amok these people who want to save the world and help everyone and go off to africa and and, and you know get that warm feeling in their tummy you know, by uh, uh, by uh, by helping out children. I mean, we we have these people within the white race. Um, so I, I don't know. I I think we're going to have to deal with this at the level of power, um, and we we have to be open about that and not just think that we can deal with this in, in a liberal, like a classically liberal fashion. And and you know, live and let live. We'll all be okay. We'll we'll have free association. I I, I think at some point that the the state is not is just as important as the ethno in that you know, um, in that conception, um, because the state fundamentally is about power. Um, you know, the society is all about consensus and consensual relations. You know, you invited me on this 
podcast. Oh, that sounds fun. I'll, of course, I'll be on there. You know, total, totally consensual. Um, when you go and buy something at the store, obviously consensual relationship. But politics is about power. Um, and the state is about power. It's about violence. It's about, it's about war-making capability. It's about the, the use of force. And we need to answer the racial question on that level at some point. Um, we, we, we need guardians at the gate. Um, we, if there is a businessman who says he wants to bring in all these guest workers and how wonderful it is and, and so on, you know, we, we might, we'll need to stop him. And um, so I am not, I mean, I think you understand this. I'm not against that, that more libertarian solution. I, I think this has been what Jared Taylor has, has put forth. And Jared Taylor is obviously a very genuine guy. And he, he you know, this is, this is great. I would love to live in that society. I just don't think we ever can live in that society. And we're just kind of avoiding that bigger question, which is the question of power and how we're going to, uh, you know, in a civilized, humane fashion, use power. Um, but we're going to have to think about that. We're going to have to think about war making. We're going to have to think about, I mean, immigration is a foreign policy and it is about power. I mean, at some point we're going to be in a situation where millions of refugees are going to try to come here and they're going to say, we're going to die unless you may let us in. This is, this is so ter terrible. And, and there, there's war going on. And maybe you're even responsible for that war. And maybe they're kind of right. I mean, I, I, I just to, to allow me to like left post here for a second. I mean, we, <laughs> we are responsible for the Syrian crisis at, at some level. I mean, the, the, the Libya most immediately, but just all of the chaos we've created in the Middle East. I mean, we, we, we bear a lot of blame over this situation, but e even accepting that we have to say no. And we'll have to make a decision and it will have to be a, a, a and, and, and force might even be involved in preventing people. So we need to think about our, rational, our, our racial destiny at the level of power. I, I don't think there's ultimately a liberal solution. Well, I do think in the Mexican constitution, uh, there's some sort of caveat in there for demographics or, or keeping it of a Mexican character. So this is a sort of thing that you're pointing towards? I, I think that would be great, you know, I but I, I don't put that much faith in pieces of paper as well. I mean, the Joe Sovereign famously said the, um, what is it? The, uh, luckily the constitution has no effect on our current lifestyle or is it, the constitution is no threat to our way of government. He, he said some, he articulated better, a very amusing uh, kind of jaundiced uh, um, look at the constitution. I mean, I think it's great to write things down. If, if we were able to create an ethno state, we should certainly write a lot of this down, but you know, it, it's about people and it's about who, as Lenin said, who and whom. It's about who is in power and people like us need to be in power. Um, and we just need to say that at some level. I, I, I think sometimes we're, we're so nice and liberal. We, we just want to be like, oh, you know, democracy, whomever he chooses. We, we believe in law. That, that's all nice. But, but, you know, people like who think like us must be in power. Yeah, and I'd just quickly like to point out um, that, for example, the land that is now called Turkey, um, the population there used to be 100% Christian. They were yes. fair-haired people, you know, basically Greek, um, and they had beautiful civilization there. And what happened was in 1450, uh, the population became about 
10% Muslim. Right now, the UK is 5% and London is 13%. Um, by 1850, it was up to 70% Muslim. So that's uh, 200 years. And this, this is without mass transportation, by the way. This is without them purposefully inviting in huge loads of refugees. And uh, just quickly after that, it became 100% um, Muslim. And you know, if you just look at those stats and ask yourself what happened to this land, it went from a beautiful European country to you know, a backwards Muslim one in a very short period of time. And this is before mass transportation or anything like that. This can happen to the UK. It's already happened to, you know, sections of Europe, you know, small little ghettos and everything, but it's spreading fast and there are no brakes on this train. So we have to take action. And Richard is completely correct. We just have to take power. And even if that is not like the most lovey-dovey hippie thing to do, we have to establish it. Otherwise, we're going to be wiped out. It's that simple. So Richard, when you say we need to take power, do you still believe in the, elec the election process going in politically as politicians or do you have something else in mind as far as activism? When you say we need to take power, like what, what, by what means? Well, I, I mean, people like us need to be in power. And um, I, I think there are, there are certainly many different ways of doing that. I mean, the, certainly the electoral process is one. That's why I think so many of us were excited about Trump because it was just this new paradigm. I mean, I have in my entire lifetime, I've never been as excited about a Republican. I mean, and in fact, in my an adult life, I have been cynical to say the least about Republicans. You know, that's the, the better Republicans I'm cynical about, you know, the, the, most of them I, I think should be, a, I don't know, a, 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 you know, a, thrown into a dungeon or so. I don't mean that seriously, but, you know, you, you get my drift. Um, you know, they're just terrible, uh, backstabbing, uh, you know, traitorous people. Um, but uh, yeah, Donald Trump showed this way that from a top-down perspective, this new person can come in. It's, it's almost like we were playing a game of chess and we had it all figured out. And then someone just put a new piece on the board that we never expected. And so new things became possible. And, and that's why I was so excited about him. Now, Donald Trump has been a real mixed bag in office. And, and maybe he's, he's kind of, you know, made, made, made us a little bit more cynical about the, the electoral process. Uh, you know, another aspect is this concept of the deep state that, that many people um, uh, you know, love to hate, and the deep state being established bureaucrats, the military-industrial complex, the academic con uh, complex, the judiciary system, the, and so on. Um, well, the fact is that the deep state has a tremendous amount of power, and no one ever votes on it. No one elected the deep state uh, no, on, on in on issues that the deep state truly cares about. No one gets to vote. So, creating something like a deep state. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a really long-term process, but th that is definitely something that we should be interested in. Capturing the minds of intellectuals and artists. Um, and, you know, that's a totally non-political, totally consensual thing. Um, but that is also um, something where one can have tremendous amounts of, of power. So I just think we should be very flexible and um, we should try to pursue lots of different routes because we don't know how history is going to unfold. And when you, you know, and we need to be flexible with that. I, I said, I said in one speech one time, it doesn't matter what happens so much as how we respond to what happens. 
So we don't, we don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. We could be in the exact same place where we are now. We're all complaining about the immigrants and all that kind of stuff. We, we could be in a very different situation, a much darker situation, maybe a more chaotic situation. We just need to be flexible, but we, we have to ultimately have that end goal in mind of, of building a civilization that's going to be beautiful, that's going to be safe for our people, and that's going to promote the, the flourishing of our, our culture. And when we have that ultimate end goal, then we can react to the day-to-day. Yes, I completely agree. And I think um, it's a little bit silly when people are asking, well, should we do like this one strategy? Let's all do this one strategy. And it's like, that's not how it works. We need to, it's, our strength is in decentralization and to, like using every single approach we can. So we should have people applying to work for ICE. We should have people trying to get into government. We should have people working for CNN. <laughs> we need to infiltrate yeah. all the institutions, you know, as much as possible. So e- everything, everything is good. You know, if it seems like a good idea, it probably is. So just try it and see what sticks. Become um, a singer-songwriter. Don't don't yeah. just don't just do like ice or you know, whatever. Like go and create music. Like you yeah, know that, that can be more just romantic as powerful. Even I have. <laughs> well, no, I mean I'm I'm I, I I get it. I mean I I was just talking about power and violence and all that kind of stuff. But at the yeah. same time, like that's not for everyone. And I think it'd be tremendous if we had, you know, a, a, a an identitarian or alt right, you know, like music. And we were we're having that right now. But if we had something like that, or 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 writers going into academia mm-hmm. and keeping one's head down for a little while, and then and then you know surprise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, but. Artist, you know, you could wander around with a net yeah. gun and say you're you're here to capture illegal children. You'd be like a <laughs> you could call it performance art, right? I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay, um, okay. Different question. Um, so this is regarding women in the alt right. I'm seeing more women coming into the alt right, so I think this is something that probably needs to be addressed. And Melissa, she wants it straight from the horse's mouth. She wants to hear what Richard Spencer's opinion is on this. Um, she says, "I've seen many who believe women should not speak out. Uh, sorry, sorry, should not seek out an education or career, and." and have multiple children. Does this not downgrade white women? Is this an alt-right or ideal or more personal opinion of those expressing it? I hope you got that, Richard. Well, um, this is a very difficult question. And and obviously, you know, when we answer, you can answer a question like this in the general, but it, it gets personal and can again become acrimonious. So um, I, I would just I would say this that that women do have this special ability to be mothers, and and that also that that ability really is confined to a, a part of their life, um, really not not even a third of it. Um, you know, from um, the the age of um, say sixteen. Obviously, I'm not suggesting sixteen year olds get married and have children, but you know, from let's say the, you know, the age of 16 to the age of say 40, um, that is a window when they are able to have healthy children. Um, and so that is their special gift and that that's also their, their special duty. Um, and so I, 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 I we can, I, I'm not, I'm not inherently against women, um, obviously, you know, participating or adding to this, but we can never really forget about that. And, 
And, and, and any time we do, I, I think we're doing the movement and our ideas a disservice, and we're also doing those women a disservice. Um, I, I think also, you, you know, I'll, I've often, you know, met women who are, are, are idealistic and, and, and so on, but um, let, let's also just be, be brutally honest here. I mean, the, the game of ideology and, and power and, 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 and culture making and all, all that kind of stuff. It, it is a man's game, um, historically speaking. And that doesn't mean that, that women can't contribute, but it just means that this is, this is our realm. Um, I think in a, in a, to a degree, it's uh, the, the male ability to give birth to a child. You know, we give birth to a great novel or, or a play or, or a, a, a book of philosophy or, or, or so on. Um, so I, I don't think we should ever get away. I, I don't think we should ever get away from that. I, I think we need to recognize these natural human differences. Um, men do have a, do have a, have a stronger idealistic streak in that um, we will focus on end goals and pursue them. Um, women do have a, a much stronger tendency. A, a, they have a much greater ability in, in terms of nurturing. If anyone who has a child who has been around families and things like that, um, you know, when men, when we, not that we can't be fathers, but when we just don't have that gift of caring for a child in the way that a, a woman does. Um, and, and I think also in terms of a woman's life, I think women are more geared towards having, you know, energy coming, kind of come towards them. You know, women want to be loved. Men love. Men seek out women. Women are, you know, invite men to seek them out. And that's a, that's a deep sexual dynamic that is, is just, it's a reality. It's not going to change in any time in, 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 in the foreseeable future and anything like that. Uh, so we just have to recognize these things. Um, I also do get a little bit skeptical when, um, you know, when we find some, you know, cute girl who says something that kind of sort of sounds like what we believe. Uh, and, and then, you know, oh, look, this is our, our, our new hope. I, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. Um, I, I do think that we, that, that this, this, you know, movement will be led by men um, and, and it should be. So I know some people might, say that I'm being a little bit wishy-washy here, uh, but it's just, it's a very, it's a very difficult issue. And so just to sum up what I'm saying, I, I do think women can contribute. Um, I don't think that they should be um, the, you know, premier leaders. Um, and I also don't think we can ever think about uh, a woman's role without being cognizant of her identity, her, her very being. Um, as, as a mother and caregiver. So there's no simple solution to this, um, but, and, it, and it has to be treated delicately. But, um, but yeah, those, those are my feelings on it. Okay, and yeah, I imagine um, you also feel the same way about women pursuing careers, like let's recognize gender roles, let's encourage gender roles, but we're not exactly going to start enforcing them in some kind of crazy authoritarian way. Um, I'm not sure we can do that at, at any point. Um, I, this is just such a tricky issue. Um, I, you know, there, there is something to be said about an, an older economy in which, you know, men were paid significantly more 
than women in the workforce because it was assumed that men were going to be taking care of a family and so on. Um, there, there was a, a patriarchal, or you could say paternalistic um, notion to economies where it wasn't just about who can do the job. Um, there was a, a higher uh, moral you know, uh, you know, impulse in, in, in hiring and, and economic business decisions like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Sure. I mean, it sounds like you are still taking a fairly kind of libertarian approach. I mean, you're not you're not exactly proposing that um, we. Uh... Oh, I think all women should be chained to the kitchen. <laughs> uh, don't get me yeah. wrong. But... I mean, not, not the white Sharia meme. I, I'm not entirely. No, sure. no, 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 no. I think it's a joke. But anyway. Um, <laughs> OK, let's hear uh, Mark. I know we've got questions. We've got so many questions from the audience. Uh, let's hear a few of the best ones, shall we? Yeah, I just wanted to ask Richard something and before we moved on there. I mean, he was talking about sort of like the issue of forming kind of strong people. And uh, and one thing that I took from what you were saying, especially about the issue of a constitution, you know, it, it springs to mind the sort of poem or the book Might is Right. All mm. books of law and golden rules are fashioned to betray. And when people put their entire sort of worth and hope in a document, um, which can be interpreted often in several different ways. And they don't put their strength in their own their own strength or the strength of their people, but in a, in a document, which is just a series of ideas, but they don't put those ideas into action themselves. They almost look to the document for strength. But I see a lot of that sort of to be a very libertarian idea to to have a, like a list of rules that you all stick to and i'm i'm definitely not a libertarian in fact it, in my book i said that libertarianism was one of the false salvations for our people because it it basically taught people to think individually and i agree with what you were saying actually about us being strong and on this show i've i've invited people to go on a 10k assault course with me and if you want to fly in and join me richard i'd love for you to do that too but i think we need to be strong men and we need to have the ability to defend ourselves because in the world that we live in i believe it's it's very much um the rule of the stick and the man with the biggest stick is the man who creates the law and we need to be in the position where we get to power and then we wield the biggest stick and the right men make sure that that biggest stick is used, that we don't lose power and we don't end up back in the situation we're in. And to do that, I believe we need um, white collectivism, people to come together and work as a hierarchy. And I really wanted just to throw out to you, this is a personal question, because obviously we've got, um, I've got loads here to ask you from the audience and, and to people in the audience, please keep, um, uh, asking questions because we've got Richard here for another hour to go but your thoughts on libertarianism and do you think like me that libertarianism is controlled opposition because it splits us down to an individual level like when I hear people like Jordan Peterson he says a lot of clever things on the surface but then he comes out with this pseudo intellectual babble about us all being on our own as individuals and reject collectivism yet as soon as you reject collectivism in my opinion you'll just be overwhelmed by groups like the Muslims who are a co cohesive collective which are overwhelming us here in the UK and I just wanted your thoughts on that because people in the people in the chat have been asking about collectivism and about some form of you know if you like racial socialism uh, absolutely I, I would identify as a collectivist um, that doesn't mean that I, I want to grind everyone down to the lowest common denominator and create everyone as a you know generic human 
cog or something like that, you know, biomass. So absolutely not. Um, I, I, I recognize this great diversity and levels, you know, within the, the, the white race. And I, I want to maintain that. Um, but I am a collectivist um, in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. I, I would say that in, in terms of libertarianism, libertarianism is, is really an extreme version of liberalism. And um, in the, the fact that it's been associated with the right and that the right has turned to this you know, extreme liberalism as a way of attacking uh, the liberals, I, I do think has been this just Achilles heel. It's it's ne it's it's never allowed us to overcome liberalism because it's treated liberalism and extreme liberalism as the answer to liberalism. Um, so I, I think also we we overlook the the social base of libertarianism in the sense of where is libertarianism coming from? Where where does it work? Um, one could look at a at a, a kind of Switzerland uh, as the you know an ideal libertarian society, or one could look at the American frontier. You know, throughout the, the 19th century. So these, these weren't just ideas, they actually came out of something. Um, and they worked within a, a current context. But that doesn't mean that we should treat them as universal truths or that, or, or that th this is how we should look, you know, we should look to these for the future. Um, I absolutely agree that libertarianism is a kind of uh, unilateral disarmament um, and that collectivism will clearly be more powerful. And unless we are willing to be collectivists ourselves, we are not going to be able to confront uh, politically, militarily, and, and, and socially a, a force like a, a united Islam um, or, or, or the Chinese question, which is um, a tricky question, maybe one that we shouldn't, we've been, we rarely talk about that issue, but that, that's something we're going to probably have to be dealing with. Uh, for the centuries, um, uh, uh, perhaps more so than than the Muslim question. Um, so I, I absolutely I, I, I absolutely agree that that libertarianism false god. Um, I think libertarianism has also been a kind of mask uh, for conservatives. It, it's been a way that many libertarians have uh, hated the way that the world has been going, say, over the past century. And they've seen all of this as emanating, rightly or wrongly, they seem all of it is emanating from the government. And so libertarianism is this kind of the stick you could use against the government that you could kind of, you know, oh, I don't like the Civil Rights Act. I don't like these big bureaucracies that are pursuing these social programs. These wars that the U.S. military are pursuing are stupid. And I, I agree with all that. Uh, but it's never, it, it's, it's been begging the question, that is, it's been avoiding the real issue of, of power and identity. And it's just been treating it as, oh, if, we, if those bureaucrats could just go away, if they, couldn't, if they could stop taxing middle, the middle class families at the rate where they do, it would be better. And, and so, again, it's, it's a kind of insufficient solution uh, uh, to these questions. Uh, so I, I think that, that that's my view of libertarianism. The other thing is that... Um, Libertarianism today, we, we've actually witnessed something very remarkable because, you know, for, throughout the, cons the history of the conservative movement in the United States, things are a little different in Europe, but if we just focus on the U.S., the, the conservative movement in the United States, at least domestically and at least rhetorically, has been libertarian. It has always been about getting the government off our back, reducing government, and so on. But it's kind of assumed a social base. So it's say, we need to get the bureaucrats out of the way so that our, our, our Christian families can flourish. 
uh, or so on. So it's it's assumed this the social the social base. I would say that at this point in history, that dynamic has dissolved. And if if you are a libertarian at this point, you are not right wing. Indeed, you are to the left of social justice warriors. And I don't just say that as kind of a funny quip. Like this is real. Uh, when I went to this um, libertarian youth organization, I was actually invited by uh, the, the Hans Hermann Hoppe faction, um, who uh, they invited me to come stop by and have have uh, drinks with them. And I went to this, uh, I think it was like Students for Liberty or, or one of these big conferences. And it was just like being in a Cal Berkeley seminar. I mean, it, it was people, you know, how do we become more transgendered, you know? Uh, you know, I, how how do we bring bestiality into the mainstream? I mean, it. it I mean, it, maybe it wasn't that bad, but <laughs> it was bad. And they they have eclipsed the left, uh, in fact, in their desire for individuality and their desire for a a total lack of of the collective, whether that's the state or whether that's the family or a church or a civic group or really anything. Uh, it is just radical fragmentation. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, th this is, I don't even think the libertarianism is, is really much of a question anymore. Um, Ron Paul might have been the kind of last gasp of that right-wing libertarianism of get the government off my back, you know, we're going to take it from here kind of stuff. Um, I think the libertarian movement going forward is going to be a, a radical leftist, uh, a component of the left, really. Um, and so I, I don't think I don't think it's much of a temptation anymore. And um, the kids, the uh, that is the young people who really do care about the race and civilization and really want to fight against, you know, the SJWs of the government, the state or so on, um, are, are not going to think in that way. Um, I, I think they, you know, if you if you just look at who they are, I, I don't see the young alt writers as as being libertarian. I, I think that so many of them are collectivists. So many of them want a wall. They want Trump to be Trump, and, and so on. So I, I think there really is a major intellectual paradigm shift going on. Well, something. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just uh, I want to hear Steve's opinion on this as well. But I I just want to add that I actually surveyed my followers. And the majority of them are converts from libertarianism. And I know that Steve is as well. So I think it'd be very interesting to hear what made him uh, go from being a libertarian, pure, purest libertarian to being alt-right. Right. Well, I guess a point that I made and, you know, Richard, we need to get you speaking at a Porcupine Freedom Festival. I mean, it, I just it sounds like the venue for you. So, <laughs> well, you know, I realized that libertarian sort of just reflexively wave the non-aggression principle at everything and that this is kind of uh, dull and um, not very empirical and not very strategic and I, I guess this also applies to Jordan Peterson sort of like waving the individualism stick at everything and something the millennial woes which I think he's actually in the chat right now pointed out is that this sort of wave individualism at everything be a classical liberal you know Dave Rubin style liberalism you know, this really assumes an ethnically homogenous homeland, and it really right. was the way of reaching people in the 1800s. And I kind of look at libertarianism the same way. Libertarianism assumes a lot of responsibility on the population that is employing it or, you know, using it. 
And we simply do not have those conditions with multiculturalism in the West right now. So to bandstand for libertarianism, I think it's sort of useful on at a theoretical level to sort of wrap your brain around, okay, if I, if I take the non-aggression principle and apply it to this, what comes out of that? But politically, it's it's like a non sequitur at this point. And, you know, this this trope of the libertarian that's been floating around, I think, is really apt. Well, you know, the, the non-aggression principle, principle, this brings us to an interesting aspect of libertarianism, which is that before it's an economic doctrine, it's a moral doctrine. And in economics really comes second, but, but at the basis of libertarianism is that desire to not aggress. And, you know, again, the, the Lou Rockwell Mises Institute or, or Hoppe and Libertarian would say that that really uh, is defined by the state in the sense that a, a something like a church or a family or a civic organization that is consensual, you can always leave. They, they don't have the power of, of violence. They cannot imprison you and so on. It's really the state that you have to, to, to worry about. But um, the, the fact is libertarians, I mean, they, they, it, there does seem to be a, a dynamic to libertarianism where it is against all collectivism, you know, in general. And that whether it's a corporation or a, or a church, et cetera, it, it is viewed almost like the state. Um, and that they, they, they are morally opposed to anyone telling you that you can't be, you know, a, a, a transgendered, uh, uh, you know, in a polyamorous relationship with your pets or something, you know, I, um, and that they, they, they don't, they, they, they're against all kinds of authority. But also I would just point this out and, and not to sound too brutal or too might makes right. But, you know, <laughs> that's really cute that you believe in the non-aggression principle, but with someone who believes in NAP and someone who doesn't give a shit about the non-aggression principle, who's going to win? And I would always also ask them, you know, throughout history, is history really defined by the non-aggression principle? You know, does the arc of history bend towards, you know, live and let live? <laughs> I, I, you know, in a, some ways, I wish it would. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a very civilized person. I, I don't go around, you know, forcing people to do things, or beating them over the head, taking their property. I don't like people who do that, in fact. I want to stay away from people. But, but let's just be brutally honest, uh, over the course of, of, of history, um, who is able to define themselves and define the future? Is it the moralists who are against all aggression or all authority, or is it the people who are willing to use power? And to ask that question is to answer it. I've always found the libertarians' non-aggression principle to be exactly as stupid as what they mock the communists for. They mock communists for yeah. saying things like, can't we all just get along? If we all just agree to get along and share everything, the world will be perfect. Well, we're not all going to agree to just get along and share because that's not human nature. And equally, right. we're not all going to agree not to dominate each other. And as you so rightly said, history has shown that we don't agree to get along and share, but nor do we agree to dance around in a circle singing Kumbaya and be all friends and not bash each other over the head. In fact, history has been defined by man bashing other men over the head since the days of Cain and Abel, you know, since the, since the earliest days of man to now, the man with yeah. the biggest club has been the winner. So, but we're going to ask a few more questions from the audience now, but this is just my little thing to the audience. You've been great tonight, but we've got a huge amount watching. In fact, this is our biggest ever viewing figure. So can you all please upvote the stream and give us some likes? Because obviously it's helped 
helps us out. And you're all watching, but if we can get the likes up over 400 or even 500, that'd be fantastic. So here's another good question for you, Richard. Um, what about the perspective of the alt-right in resolving petty European nationalism? And I think what this guy is getting at is he's basically saying in the past, petty European squabbles have led to many brothers' wars and much loss of white life. How can we address that and how can we help to ensure those things don't happen again? Well, this is a, a huge question and, and one that is, is quite contentious within the alt-right. Um, there are there's a spectrum within the alt right. I I might be on the farther pan-European spectrum, um, and then there are other people in, in the alt right who who you know we agree on so much, um, and and I, I and I think we should be in the same movement because we because our agreements are so substantial. But who who really are are more nationalists? They they might even want to break up existing nation states. They like secession. They certainly like uh, nationalism among the existing nation states. Um, I, I would say this uh, because, again, this is a very big geopolitical and even even philosophical question. I think we, we could all agree that we cannot afford another 20th century. We cannot afford another round of brothers' wars. And anyone who is is promoting you know violence between white people i would say that you you simply can't be a part of of our movement um maybe those wars are justified in the past at, at the very least they're understandable but that is absolutely not acceptable anymore um i would say that my concept of the ethnostate um which again my concept is more imperial you could say it's it's bigger um, I, I understand how one, one would, my, would want an ethnostate that is ethnically defined, like you know, Sweden 50 years ago or, or, or so on. Um, but I would define the state larger. And that doesn't mean that I want to combine all Europeans culturally and socially and to the point that there is just you know, one uh, white man or something like that. Um, the ethnostate is about it's on, on that level of power. It's on it's 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 foreign policy is in a way just as important as its domestic policy, and the ethnostate the way why I support a pan-European you know imperial ethnostate you could say is that we need to have a defined foreign policy, a unified foreign policy, and that includes immigration. Obviously, we do not want to have. Uh, you know, mass migration into any place in our realm, uh, but it also defines foreign policy in the sense that we want to we want to project power in a unified way to the world. Uh, we do not want to have Italy at war with France or, or or so on. We want to project European power to the world, and we are going to need to project a unified power base to the world in the sense that we're going to have to be dealing with uh, a billion and some Han Chinese. We're going to have to be dealing with the Indian world that is uh, upwards of a billion, the African world, which is approaching a, a billion, uh, and so on. Um, and so that that is my view. The, 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 the ethnostate as a unified bloc really comes from foreign policy. Um, 
much more than it comes from, say, a, uh, a, a homogeneous uh, a population. I think there should be great diversity. I don't want to turn Italians into Scotsmen or Scotsmen into Italians or anything like that. Um, but, but I do think that Scotsmen and Italian need to have one unified foreign policy. Now, can we get there tomorrow morning? Um, no, but I do think that we need to be thinking like this. And so even if one is, say, a, a political actor in the UK or, or in Italy or, or, or even in Russia, which is, remember, Russia is its own case because that, you know, there, there is an East-West dynamic um, that, that is very much at play within the white world. Um, but that even if we, you are acting in, your own, in, the, in the interest of your own country and even if you are ethno-nationalist, that you at least think in these terms that you at least think in terms of this shared brotherhood of, of, of the white world. Um, okay. I think um, some people do criticize you for this idea of the kind of pan-Europeanism, et cetera. Um, and I think that might be because, you know, we are in, especially in Europe, we are very fond of our own particular um, little ethnic groups, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you respond to those people who are worried that, um, you know, their Italianness is going to be infringed upon by your uh, policies. Well, I mean, I would I would ask them this. I mean, if if you if one really wants to maintain this tight, you know, unbreakable ethno identity, then one might need to end train travel and planes and the internet and so on. Those things have done much more in terms of blurring the lines between ethnicity than the government, than the EU or any national government. Um, so, you know, Nietzsche actually talked about this in, in Beyond Good and Evil in his Fatherland's uh, book that he, he noted that there is a, it, there, there, there is a kind of generic European that is arising out of this world. And he might have an ethnic identity. He might have a, a, a speak, a, have a linguistic identity. Uh, he might come from somewhere uh, geographically. He might call someplace home, but he is European in his, in his being. And he was saying this long before the European Union or anything like that. So if we want to maintain that kind of tight ethnicity, um, then we're going to have to do a lot more than just get out of the EU because there is still going to be travel and exchange. Uh, Europeans in the Erasmus program, which has led to tons of you know Germans meeting and marrying Spanish women and, and so on. Um, we're going to have to get rid of that if we're going to attain, maintain that kind of ethnic cohesion. Uh, and so I don't feel that that is possible or desirable. Um, however, um, I also don't think that we're all going to become a, a white person. I mean, natural, regional, and, and, and ethnic and linguistic differences are just natural. I mean, they exist within the United States. They're, they're, they're actually still quite pronounced. Um, but I, I don't think they should ever be articulated in terms of foreign policy or in terms of that just, you know, ethnic hatred, which I think we have overcome to a great degree. I, I don't think the English and the French or the French and the Germans ha have that kind of intense loathing that we saw in the past. These, you know, the, the Alsace-Lorraine question is, 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 is 
has been tabled for the time being. It's not something anyone's going to fight a war over or, 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 or be all that passionate about, to be honest. Um, so I, I think this is the this is the direction that we're headed, and I, I would be lying if I said that some some like tight ethnic cohesion wouldn't be lost in all of this. Um, but so I, I, I'm going to be you know really open about that. But but I, I think the 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 greater goal of preventing internecine conflict and projecting unified power um, to in a geopolitical situation is so much more important um, than just, you know, defining an ethnostate. I mean, an ethnostate on an ethnic basis in that sense. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I, I just, the, the idea that we could just break up every national group and give it its own sovereign territory and parliament, it, whether something like that is possible, I, I think is, is, is debatable. I mean, something like France, I mean, let's remember, France is an empire. I mean, there are many different Frances. There, there's a Celtic France. There, there's a more Germanic France. The name itself, France, comes from Frank. Uh, there, there's a more Latin, you know, Mediterranean France, you could say. So even these big nation states are, are in themselves empires that have brought, brought together many different linguistic groups and regions and, and, and so on. Um, and, and, and that is, you know, more of my vision for Europe. Uh, but again, as I've said, um, there is a lot of disagreement on this. I get a lot of criticism within the alt-right. Uh, I would just maintain that, you know, what we have in common is so great that we can have this quarrel within our group and, and not split over it. Um, you know, I, I think mo most all ethno-nationalists are not extreme. They don't have extreme hatred towards any other white person. And so long as th that is who they are, then you know I'm their comrade. We just we can have disagreements. Well, Richard, something that we like to put our focus on in this show sometimes is uh, practical matters. I mean, actionable, direct sort of things that you can do. So you speak of capturing the minds of great men. We have a lot of listeners that you know look up to what we do and want to gain tricks and tips and edges and strategies. So how? How do we capture the minds of great men? Well, do what we're doing. I mean, we, we've already broken through to such an amazing degree. The, the, the fact that ethnostate can be talked about in mainstream discourse, and it really is, um, that is an amazing achievement. That, that was not happening two years ago. And it now is happening. So I, I think doing what we are doing right now is the way that we gain influence. Um, and we've already gained a tremendous amount of influence when you just look back over, over recent history. Um, now, in terms of you know, the, the political situation, uh, I, again, I, I just think we should be flexible. Um, when we see a major paradigm shift or an opening, like with the Trump movement, I, we should jump on it and just pile on. Um, but I don't think we should ever become, you know, GOP cheerleaders or, or, or be uncritical uh, of all that's happening. Um, I, I don't have a, a, a tremendous faith in the Republican Party, just to, to look at the American situation. Um, I don't really even have a tremendous faith in, in Steve Bannon, to be honest. Um, now, I, I think we could be, be critics of that and, and try to, you know, 
find the good in it and try to channel it to the the, the way we can. Um, but again, I, I think we just need to be doing what we're doing. Um, I mean, what we've noticed this, there, there seems to be a kind of like alt-right economy that's that's burgeoning. So even something as small as Hatreon, you know, that that seems to be a kind of, wow, we're, if, if you if you multiply Hatreon by 100 or, or, or project Hatreon out 10 years, we're we're having our own payment processors. We're having our own web hosts. We're 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 creating almost a, a new economy where where we could be secure. Um, all of the stuff on SoundCloud, like the Fash Wave, and, and you say, oh oh, you know, it's whatever. It's not you know mainstream. Well, we didn't have this five years ago, and we have it now. So again, project that out. Are, is there going to be an identitarian music culture? Uh, that that's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, on the music, someone's got to do this to make Richard happy. Get some music out there. Um, <laughs> so we have a question from Joshua. He says, "How can we fight against the leftist indoctrination of youth? Even this year's Christmas advertisements in the UK are a miscegenation fest." Yes, uh, I I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I think waging the culture war is a little bit more than uh, making, you know, your clerk at Walmart or Walmart or Macy's say Merry Christmas as opposed to Happy Holidays. Um, yes, I, I, I'm afraid I don't have any easy solution for in terms of the indoctrination of youth. Uh, in the United States, there is a major movement of homeschooling, and and that is a way of pulling one's child out of the, the the public school morass. I know public and private mean different things in the United Kingdom, I'm sure listeners will flip those two words around. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat ambivalent about that myself um, in the sense of, uh, of this kind of, you know, schooling just purely on a familial uh, level. Um, I, I think without indoctrinating in the worst sense of the word of, you know, trying to turn our children into white nationalists, I, I don't really think that's a, a good idea. I, I think our children would probably rebel against that if we, if we try to, you know, almost literally indoctrinate them. Um, I, I do think there are ways of, of instilling strong values, um, instilling a, a willingness to be skeptical about, you know, the dominant discourse and so on. Um, in our children, but I'm sorry, I don't, I, I don't have any easy answer to this because th this really, the left has recognized that there's a uh, there's a weak point that a children are uh, very susceptible to uh, indoctrination. Uh, children are themselves in the state of confusion. I mean, this this desire by forces to promote transgenderism among you know teenagers and and adolescents is just one of the most horrifying things that i have ever experienced in my life you know children of that age are they're going through puberty they don't know who they are they're they're questioning their identity and and then you have these you know uh, experts you know experts coming in and 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 telling them that they can be whatever gender they could they want to be or maybe you're in fact a woman or maybe you're actually a man this is really, really sick, and um, it, it has surprised me. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't it, ten years ago. I never would have imagined that there would be a a transgendered child 
you know, uh, on the cover of of National Geographic or something. I mean, th this is just really, uh, really sick stuff. Um, I don't. I'm afraid I don't really have easy solutions for this. I mean, the 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 left see an opening there. They have all of this cultural power, cultural institutions, and they're directing it at this this place that's exposed, uh, and and that is you know capturing the minds of youth. Um, I, yeah. Clearly, it's been their strategy for a long time, and it's particularly insidious. But we know that our selected people don't care about the well-being of children, so it's not surprising. Um, but I actually went on a different topic. I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, a, a lot of people in our movement they don't like the mainstream media. They don't want to talk to the mainstream media. The mainstream media has a, a habit of misrepresenting us. What made you decide to kind of go against that and say, "No, I'm going to be talking to mainstream media and what is your strategy when you engage with them? Right. Um, yeah, a lot of people do ask me that. And, um, and you know, the, the critics will say, oh, he just, all he wants is attention or something like that. I don't regret talking to the mainstream media at all. And it has been a tremendous way of communicating our ideas. Um, even when the mainstream media will, will treat us a bit unfairly, um, I still don't regret it um, because getting our names out there, getting ideas out there, um, are, it, that, that is really an end in itself. And the, the large percentage of people who will hear about us for the first time through like the New York Times or I don't know, Rolling Stone, all of these places, and then look into it for themselves, be skeptical of the way they were presented, or at least have that germ of an idea to, to percolate in their mind. Um, I think it's been absolutely um, tremendous. And um, I, I mean, so many of our ideas, the ethno state radically mainstream was a, a meme I went in to, to an, a Rolling Stone interview and the, it actually made the title the piece. Uh, so, and, and that was exactly what I wanted. So there, there are ways of, of using them. Now, are they using us? Is the mainstream media trying to bash Trump by connecting him to us. Uh, yes, they are. And I think we should always go in to that, not just allowing ourselves to be to be used by them. And whenever I'm asked about Trump, I am very, um, uh, I'll, I'll very seriously say, say, no, he's not an identitarian. He's not alt-right. He doesn't quite think like me, but he is a nationalist and a populist. He kind of is an emotional identitarian, maybe. So I think it is important to, you know, create space there. Um, but the, the fact is we have been recognized in a, in a Hegelian sense and, and, you know, we, we've been recognized by the mainstream media and that does bring to us legitimacy. Um, it's very interesting. I, you know, I'll, I'll get a, a lot from conservative friends, people who are, you know, working in the conservative movement or anything like that. They'll always bash the liberals and I'll basically tell them like, well, look, the liberals have been the ones who have talked to me. The liberals have actually given me a fair shake. Uh, they have always been critical. But, you know, you know, being that they know that I have the power of YouTube or Twitter or the web or whatever to correct the record, I don't really feel like I'm getting slandered by liberals. You know, they're, 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 they're just lying about me, putting out all incorrect facts. The fact is they're, they're critical, but they are communicating my ideas. Uh, in, in, a, in a, a decent way, uh, particularly the more mainstream liberal types. So I'm going to talk with them. 
Um, I don't talk with the conservative media because the conservative media have very, very rarely uh, sought me out. Um, the conservative media has sought to ignore us for a long, long time to pretend that the, our, the alt-right, our version of the right does not exist. Um, and then once it, it became too hard for them to ignore us, they just went straight to just bashing and lying and all that kind of stuff. Um, they don't they don't talk to me, but liberals, even if they're going to be critical, are they going to at least help me communicate ideas? My assessment of that is yes. And I am more picky than I was about a, a year and a half ago or so when this whole kind of thing started happening. Um, but I, I still am very willing to talk to them. And I will just say this without um, giving it away, because uh, I don't think I can talk about it. Uh, a major conservative actually does want to do a sit-down interview uh, with me. I just spoke with him today. Um, so that is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, so it, maybe we are kind of breaking through there. Uh, but, but yeah, but in sense of using the media and being in the media, um, it, for me, it's never really been a question. No, it's not Bill O'Reilly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a uh, different than Bill O'Reilly, but but equally big actually. Very good, very good to hear it. Mm -hmm. Bree had a question. Yeah, I had a question from the chat. Public school graduates a flood of establishment activists slash sympathizers every year. Does it feed the black pill, or is there a solution to the flood? Teachers in college, etc., working against us. Um, you know, I I, I hate to punt on this. I don't really have this just easy solution for this question of, of child rearing. I, I think we just need to do the best we can uh, within a situation. The fact is a lot of families and women cannot homeschool their children. And I think some of them don't want to do that for good reason, actually. Um, for instance, I would be perfectly fine um, with, with uh, my children going to a public school in Montana. Um, I, I'm sure that uh, there's going to be a little bit of indoctrination in there. But to be honest, from what I can tell, the, the people who run those institutions are pretty down to earth. And it, it is an all white environment. It's a kind of, you know, they're, they're, you're, you're, they're not going to school in downtown Detroit or Washington, D.C. You know, they're, they're out in the, 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 the hinterlands. And, and there's just a kind of tendency for people to be more down to earth and, and reasonable. Um, out in places like that. Um, so I, I just think we should do the best we can in this situation. Um, not going to college, secondary and tertiary education, I think is an easier question. Um, not going to college, not going into life with in the United States uh, with $100,000 of debt. I, I just think this is a, a great thing. Um, I, I I would encourage people to at least be highly skeptical of the whole college dream thing that has been sold to millions of Americans. That you, you the only way to become middle class is to go get uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars in debt and some meaningless degree and be taught and basically be funding this like welfare program for you know women's studies theorists and and multicultural activists. I, I think getting out of secondary education that's kind of a no brainer. In terms of child rearing, I don't have a lot of easy solutions. I would basically say, do the best you can. Mm, right. Well, we have a question from Squatting Slav. This is oh this, wow. This might the bring out the shitlord in you. Yeah, Squatting Slav's here. This might bring out the shitlord. So the question is, 
ask Spencer about what he thinks of black conservatives and red pill black trying to blame him. Oh, okay. Well, that that's easy. Um, well, I'll, I'll I'll answer the second question first. Um, this red pill black is is a she, she's a case study in conservative silliness. I don't know who she is, and I don't know what her agenda is. I can't tell. She's kind of weird. I I saw some highlights of her interview with uh, Dave Rubin and um, Blair White. Yeah, it was like. I think people were tweeting like this is the future of conservatism, like a, a liberal Jew interviewing a black woman and a transsexual and they're all screaming at each other. Um, another question was, you know, in that in that room, who had the highest testosterone levels? You know, it's an interesting question. Probably red pill black. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I don't know who she is. I it, She's kind of weird. I, I don't. I don't want to accuse her of being a con art. I, you know, I don't know what she's doing. She seems to deflect criticism while never really answering it. And um, so I don't know what her agenda is. But in terms of the reaction to her, I mean, it, it's just such an expression. You know, we have these male orbiters who, you know, as I mentioned before, there'll be one cute young girl who will say something identitarian-ish. And then these guys are, oh, oh, my God, you know, let me open my wallet. Oh, this is the most wonderful thing, you know. Um, and that's similar with conservatives. I mean, she is basically catnip for conservatives, you know, a, a black woman who's telling telling them how all these blacks that she knows are going to stop voting for Democrats and believe in all this stuff. And Alex Jones went in for uh, Paul Joseph Watson went in, went in for it. The, the, everyone just got, you know, fell in love with this woman who doesn't really have any major accomplishments and is just parroting back just kind of lame talking points. And um, so that is a very funny thing. Um, in terms of what she used to be doing, apparently she was trying to create a doxing website so that um, we, you, know, you could put in a mean tweet and it would spit out this person's social security number or something. I mean, a really, really bad thing. I don't even believe that that website ever truly existed. I think it was a mechanical Turk in the sense of it, 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 it was just a, it was, it was fake. I mean, I, I don't, um, that doesn't mean she didn't want to create it. I, I don't believe she had the capability to do it. But anyway, um, it's just a, that's a bizarre case. But it, it shows the susceptibility of conservatives to just fall in love with these silly people who are, who are kind of like con artists, basically. Um, the other thing is that, just to, real quickly, I did not instigate any attacks on her. I only learned about her because I watched a video by this guy named No Bullshit. And he did a good video on her, and I was just like, oh, this is hilarious. And so I, I tweeted it out, and then I, I found some other videos about her. And she wants to claim that I'm like, you know, I, I'm running some conspiracy in order to to get rid of Red Pill Black. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I don't I don't have time or the interest. This wasn't a deep that. state operation, Richard? I mean, state, well, I am a deep state operation. I mean, that that's what she went to as well. Like, oh, he's he's in communication with the Democrats. Paul Joseph Watson has said this. Cernovich has said this. I mean, this, this is just total inanity. I, I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, I guess I should be, it's kind of a compliment. You know, I, I'm this you know, a uh, deep state operative trying to bring down the world or something. Um, can I just, but, can I just uh, cut in there, Richard? Just, sure. just a second. That, that's something that I genuinely, because 
I'm really pleased you brought this up because this is something I actually wanted to ask you. Um, anytime anyone actually gets close to the truth, you have the likes of Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson and Cernovich and all like the collection of cucks and weirdos and pill-selling misfits on the internet. And they come out and they make these like groundless accusations. But these are the people, and I, I do want your perspective on this, but my perspective is these are the people that actually don't want to achieve anything. Like for all Alex Jones' no. rhetoric, for all Paul Joseph Watson's endless memes and screaming into a camera with jump cuts in front of a map, none of them actually propose any solutions. Now, the thing that impressed me most about you is like when we talk about, when we're on this show, we talk about solutions. And I go on a, a variety of other shows and talk about solutions. And you've been a man that's consistently impressed because you talk about solutions. Like today, you've talked a, about a range of things. But do you ever get that, that these people who don't talk of solutions are always the first to attack anyone that does for being some sort of plant. And Paul Joseph Watson is one of the worst for this because he openly says he'll never be involved in a group, never be involved in a party, never actually try to affect any change. He'll just be, in 20 years time, he'll be sat in front of that map making the same teenage jump cut videos and screaming into his camera. But what are they actually achieving? I don't think I need to add anything to that because you just said it all. Yes, in 20 years from now, Paul Joseph Watson's going to be ranting about the globalist or, or something like that. And there, there ultimately is no dynamic to what they're doing. Um, I, I think if, if you want to break down the meta politics of Alex Jones, I guess return to the Constitution or something, and we'll we'll have all these multicultural, multiracial Constitution thumpers all together. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a kind of I mean, I guess it's a solution of some kind, but it's 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 rather rather hokey, uh, you know, to use in a kind of American uh, turn of phrase. It's just it, it's right. I mean, it that that's all there is is this kind of endless negativity about what's going on, um, and 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 negativity associated with all these products that they're selling, which is a huge business as well. It's it's certainly a multi million dollar business. Um, yeah, and, and and also whenever someone comes out and in a genuine fashion really wants to challenge things, really wants to get at the heart of the matter, really wants to be radical in the in the best sense of the word, then they just bring it out. Oh, it's this it's this deep state game. The deep state's created. I mean, it, it it's 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 absolutely uh, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, and I, and I think they are kind of. I think there's there's probably a deep jealousy uh, at the heart of this. They certainly do have more viewers than I do. Many, many, many more, many more. Um, but in terms of the the meme, and in a deeper sense of that word, not not just a Pepe, you know, JPEG or something, but the meme, and in, in a deeper sense of communicating bold ideas that just hit people right in the gut. That's us, and that's not them. You know, I I don't I've I've said this about the alt light in general, like. I don't really know exactly how to criticize them because I don't really know what they stand for. I mean, they they might hate certain figures. The Clinton murdered all the Hillary Clinton murdered all these folks, and you know, people, you know, General Kelly doesn't like Trump or whatever they believe. I, I don't I don't know, but there there ultimately is no vision, and there's ultimately no vision of the world in terms of where we are, and there's certainly no vision of the future, and there's there's no deep commitment to really anything. Uh, and so you, you one can't criticize them because there, there's no real there there. And I don't think I'm being unfair to them. 
Um, I, I don't think that, I, objectively speaking, I, I don't think there's a great deal of there there. So in terms of getting clicks, uh, they have outdone themselves. I mean, they, they have created an industry on that. But in terms of creating the meme in the, in the deepest, most powerful sense of that word, uh, they haven't done much of anything. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a good answer. I've got another question from the group, but um, we've, we've still got massive audience figures, so make sure you all uh, vote up the stream and give us a like. Let's jump that number over 600 if we can. Um, now, this is a very interesting question, and it's something slightly different to what we've said. Now, obviously, we know we're in a state, especially in Western Europe, of white genocide, where we are literally um, being bred out. So somebody's asked, um, should the alt-right have a dating site? And if so, what would the challenges be? I like that idea. Um, I, I think in a way we've created our own kind of organic dating site in the sense of people are getting together on Twitter, they're, they're, um, they're meeting at a conference or, or like a, a, a little private event that we have, and these are multiplying. So uh, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, Bill Regnery... Um, my, uh, yeah, someone was just saying Brie met her boyfriend at American Renaissance. I don't doubt it at all. Um, Bill Regnery, um, my uh, colleague and, and, you know, boss, you could say, um, who brought me to MPI and so on. Um, he actually proposed this, you know, uh, around 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And, and people thought that was just totally outrageous. I think we're actually in a much, I think he was just ahead of his time. I think we're in a much better position to implement such a thing now. And I would support it. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, well, another question then. Um, this is very timely as well. Um, I think the It's Okay to Be White campaign has been the best piece of propaganda anyone's ever produced for our movement. I did, um, I did my podcast on it this week, and uh, you know, I was obviously somebody who designed the leaflets that won the BNP all the seats in the European Parliament, um, and it's better than anything I've ever done, and, and that's me being out there and saying it is fantastic. You know, and I won major elections, but this is a good question for you, Richard. How would you recommend people get involved, and how can we capitalize on the It's Okay to be White campaign? Um, I do think It's Okay to be White has been amazing because it's been so, it's, it's so down to earth, uh, so non-aggressive, and yet it has been massively triggering. And so when something as, as simple and, and friendly as It's Okay to be White makes the other side react in this hysterical fashion, th that is just, that's perfect. It makes us seem reasonable, it makes them seem insane, and it reveals the, the anti-white dynamic to the system as it is. So yes, absolutely amazing campaign. Um, yeah, I would, re I, I don't obviously do everything, um, you know, within the law and, and regulations, but yeah, t going out and flyering at your local campus or event, I, I would definitely recommend doing that. Um, passing around the meme, you know, to your normie friends on Facebook or whatever. Uh, I think that's uh, fantastic. I, I think everyone should get involved with this. But I also think it, it probably is a, a timely thing. Um, you know, so much of, uh, like, activism and so on is A, B, C, D, E, F, G testing. And there's going to, th this will probably go away in a couple of weeks and th there'll be a new thing. Um, so I, I think it's great. I, I just I just think we need to be flexible, kind of see what works, and then and then jump on it. Well, Richard, we have a, a question that we've sort of agreed we wanted to ask you, and that's a 
a reading list. What are your maybe oh, top wow. four or five sort of juicy recommended reads? Well, it's funny. I actually wrote an article back in 2010 uh, for alternativeright.com, uh, where we, I, I think the article is called Canon Wars or Canon Fodder, C A N O N. So it's a little play on, you know, the Western canon. And um, I did actually lay out a lot of books that uh, one could read. Let me just, um, now Radix is down. We're rebuilding Radix. And so that site, that article will be up, but I bet it's out there somewhere on archive.org or wherever. Um, but uh, yeah, I, let me think about this. I, I would say in terms of more contemporary uh, identitarian works, I, I would definitely recommend that someone read Guillaume Fai, um, Archaeofuturism, or Why We Fight. I think those are good starting points for being a identitarian radical. Um, you know, in, in the here and now. Um, even Daniel Freeberg's uh, book, um, uh, The Real Right Returns, I think is also a good starting point. Um, I, I think that, uh, that I basically think that I need to scold myself for not writing a book yet. Um, this, uh, <laughs> I should say, the book We're that waiting. I'm going to write, I've actually picked out the title, but I won't, I won't reveal it. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that I, I need to do that. And you guys should be badgering me and, and, and guilt tripping me, uh, you know, every month that I haven't written this thing. Um, but, uh, I would say that in, in terms of getting and, and, and certainly some of Jared Taylor's books have been good. Um, what are some other contemporary books, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just think there's so much out there that right now in terms of deep articles, um, I, I would say in terms of contemporary book, Culture Critique uh, by Kevin McDonald is an essential. Now, that's a big read. Um, I haven't read that in a number of years. I remember I went through it and it, and it took me a little while. It's a, it's a very dense book, but really worthwhile. Um, but there's some other, you know, Kevin has had some, you know, uh, some essays that are, are, are longish, but, but more approachable that I, I think are always also, you know, out there. Um, if we're going to get deeper in terms of uh, works that have, oh, My Awakening, yes, My Awakening by David Duke, one can certainly check that out. I think Mark put that in the, uh, the chat. Um, yeah, I, I would say in terms of books that have deeply influenced me, um, I, I actually was influenced by reading Hans Hermann Hoppe's um, uh, uh, the uh, oh gosh, what is it? Um, his book on um, democracy, the God that failed. Uh, that really that was interesting because that brought me out of libertarianism. <laughs> even it, it was uh, maybe a design to do the exact opposite. Um, I would say that the most powerful philosophical or metapolitical reading experience um, really was reading uh, Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morals, um, which I read when I was a, a freshman or sophomore in college. Now, that book is not, it's not immediately relevant, of course, um, but I, I think in, in terms of influencing my philosophical views, that, that did more than anything. Um, uh, in terms of understanding uh, idealism and philosophy, I, I actually, uh, a lot of that is actually, for me at least, has been um, done through Kojav. Um, we actually have a, an interesting, two interesting books that are going to be published before Christmas that, um, 
that uh, actually Radix and Washington Summit Publishers are producing. One of them is Tomislav Stunich's book called Homo Americanus, which includes two introductory and uh, includes an introductory and a and conclusion and afterward, and and by Kevin McDonald and by um, Alain de Vinois. And it is a criticism, a critique of Americanism. Um, but, and I, I think actually everyone should read that and definitely read Kevin McDonald's essay, which is a great introduction to the Jewish question in general. And Alain de Benoit, which, which shows this, um, a, a French European right um, anti-American perspective, May, maybe a bit too much um, to be honest, but something that definitely should be be read. I think that's a great one. We're also producing a um, Moeller's History of the Conservative Revolution, which shows a kind of alternative right. And there are a lot of parallels with what, what was going on um, in, uh, in, in basically be between the wars and Germany in creating this, this new movement that was German nationalists in many ways, pan-European in other ways, Nietzschean in many ways, critical, certainly people are critical, at least critical of Christianity. It was a very interesting book. Um, but the uh, Moeller's History of the Conservative Revolution will finally be in English very soon. And I think that is is definitely one that sh people should pick up. Um, Sam Francis's volume, I need to do this. this, is another thing you should scold me for. Sam Francis has a volume called Leviathan, which is his... Uh, class and ideological class-based and ideological analysis. I know it is thick, and I one thing I need to do is create an abridgment, and I I do have permission to do that. Uh, so I think my creating of an abridgment of that book to something like two hundred and fifty pages or something like that, I think would be very good, very more just more approachable and useful. Um, but I think that is a great place to start for thinking about something like the deep state or or, or thinking about class and race. Um, within the, the modern post-industrial world. So I had a bit of a question. I saw the little tiff that you had with Lauren Southern on Twitter the other day and participated <laughs> in it a little myself and was a little bit impassioned by a few of the things she had to say. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what sparked you to uh, say some things to her? Well, this was actually catalyzed by Red Pill Black. Um, and uh, I was... I, I so I was talking with James Alsop and uh, Nick Fuentes about Red Pill Black, and I actually said that no bullshit guy. I go, oh, he was a great. If he were the alt light, then I would love them because you know they're just down to earth, funny guys. Really, you know, but we see eye to eye to them, you know, or we can respect them. Um, and and so he did a video with Lauren about. Um, uh, about the alt-right and then she kind of distanced herself from us and said oh she didn't really know who we were and then you know with with the MPI conference and hailed Trump and and my kind of rise to, to greater prominence oh then we, we oh I can't really support uh, this kind of thing but I, I have found this a little bit um, interesting uh, or, or maybe a lack of self-awareness on Lauren Southern's part, where she has been promoting European identitarians, and uh, she and Brittany Pettibone have. And um, Brittany Pettibone seems to be dating uh, Martin, Martin Zellner, which I, of course, think is a great thing. Um, and I, I guess I, my first provocative question was kind of like, so you claim ignorance about the alt-right. You thought the alt-right was just a bunch of edgy guys who were into small government. You know, but but plus Pepe or something, and I go if okay, you were ignorant. That's 
fair enough. I'll give you, you know, I'll believe you. Uh, but are you equally ignorant about identitarianism? Um, because identitarianism is not about Pepe and small government. I mean, identitarianism, if it, if it has any meaning at all, it is a political activism that is derived from the European New Right thinking. And so it is not about small government. It's not even about just French nationalism or Austrian nationalism. It's actually much deeper and certainly has a racial and, and civilizational component to it. And so I was just asking, are you equally ignorant of this movement and are you going to denounce them or, or distance yourself from them? So uh, I, obviously I was, I was being uh, provocative. Her answer to all of this, um, she didn't really answer that question. But her answer to all of this was that America is such a new uh, state that it's okay if it's done in the old world, but if it's done in America, then that doesn't make, I, I don't, I mean, I think we could all dismiss that. I mean, it, uh, technically speaking, America is older than Austria and Germany and, and, and so on, but let's put that aside. Um, I, 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 she obviously is getting at something truer in the sense that, you know, um, a, a German does have a, a longer connection between blood and soil than Americans do. We we came here in the 17th and 18th century and so on. Um, sure, I'll grant her that, but I don't think that means that we cannot be identitarian. I think that's simply wrong. But I think, I think it gets at something else, which is this kind of boutique tourist identitarianism among many Americans, where we want to look towards say the based polls or the based checks and it, it's kind of okay for them to be nationalist uh, but then we here we need to be all about individualism and small government and uh, we need to preserve europe as kind of a, an historical museum uh, of our people so that we can go visit and you know go go visit stay overnight at a castle or you know visit the louvre and, and see i you know Again, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but but I I really have a, a lack of respect for this. Um, I think that Americans need to learn from Europeans. I think that we have been too individualistic. We've been too connected to the Constitution and so on. We need to be more think more in terms of blood and soil. But I I think Europeans can learn from Americans in the sense that Americans have uh, one of the great things that we have done is actually overcome ethnic hostilities and so on. But the fact is we are fundamentally all in the same boat. And this isn't just a question about maintaining uh, Polish identity or, or, you know, or, or Austrians, you know, kicking out the refugees or something. This is really a question of we are under threat and we are being attacked as a race and as a civilization. And so we are fundamentally all in this together, although we're going to have different paths that we're going to tread just due to our obvious differences. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I am a little bit skeptical of, of the Lauren Southern type that they, they seem to want to become, they, they want to kind of have their cake and eat it too, where they, they want to claim that they're not truly alt-right, they're not identitarian, they're journalists, journalists who are dating... <laughs> identitarians I'm, I'm not sure uh you know I'm not sure you can have the greatest objectivity when uh you're doing that um but they they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too kind of you know uh, touch on that 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 
that hot, hot, you know, radical quality, but not go there and always be, have a plausible deniability about it. And I, I don't really like it. Um, I, I, I think that I, I'm not against people doing journalism on identitarians. I think that's great. Um, but I would rather that we support people who are truly identitarians and make no bones about it. Um, and that say, yeah, I'm doing this for my my people and my nation, but also my race and and so on. And this is who I am. Um, I'm I'm just I I don't know. I I, I like Lauren. I I don't I don't and I like Brittany Pettibone. I, I don't really have any harsh feelings towards them. I'm just very skeptical of this. And there just seems to be a lot of money being raised for these girls who are basically or it's like female orbiting. It's like they're, they're, they're women becoming like groupies of different things and doing journalism, uh, which is, you know, kind of debatable. Um, I'm, I'm just very skeptical of it. But, um, but I don't really have any harsh feelings towards, towards either of those two women. They, they seem perfectly, uh, you know, perfectly nice. Um, but I think we need, we need a little bit more than that. We need a real movement that's, that's about us and our ideas, not about fangirling. Yeah, I echo that completely. I remember when I first saw the little tip going on between you two and I found it so entertaining. And she said, well, America's a new nation. And when I saw that, I just went, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I just had the thought of, okay, at what point does a nation get to defend itself? At what point do they get exactly. to like build, build a little house and have a border and then defend it? If America is a new nation, therefore, it can't defend itself. As you said, a place like Austria, that's kind of a new nation, has drawn new borders. When do they get to defend themselves? It just seemed like kind of a weird point. And then she went on to the whole what is white anyway argument. And that one really, really flares me up. I have the utmost respect for her. She's done a great job with a lot of her journalism and has taken our side on a few things. But mm -hmm. when I saw that, I was a little disheartened. She was making these these disingenuous arguments, you know, like it, it's like when you it, it's like they'll say something that is kind of sort of true or something, but it's just meant to 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 be a kind of escape valve. So we don't have to talk about these things, you know, and, and then she was making some just incorrect arguments like um, the 1790 Immigration Act text about the Irish. And so it's just simply incorrect. But but. But it, it, just the fact that she makes these little kind of nitpicky things that that does bother me because uh, it, it it does I I don't think those those kind of arguments are are, are genuine. Well, I for one, um, I'd really love Lauren and Brittany to come and join us and be completely unapologetic um, about these values. Um, but of course, everyone um, you know has their own life going on behind the scenes, and we don't always know exactly. Um, what people's motivations are. Um, but yeah, I wanted to say that Millennial Woes made a really, really good video about um, one of these particular issues, which is that uh, Americans seem to think, um, well, Americans often get like these narratives like, oh, you took your land away from Native Americans, or oh, you, your country isn't really a real country, you know, it's only just kind of come about in the past 400 years or whatever. Um, I, and I, unfortunately, a lot of Americans kind of buy this and go, oh, yeah. Uh, well, Europe's a different situation. This is only the situation for the US, that's understandable. Uh, the US isn't a real country, we'll just let everyone else in. 
Um, the problem is that the exact same thing is being told to people right. in the UK, I've definitely heard, and I'm sure the rest of Europe. Uh, we are told things like, no one's really British. You know, you are just an amalgamation of all these other groups that came in. So we're all immigrants. We even get told that in the UK that we're all immigrants. And, you know, even people who've been living in Ireland for 10,000 years, um, you know, they might have a little bit of like admixture from uh, Sweden or, you know, admixture from um, Spain or something. And then it's all of a sudden like, oh, well, no one's really Irish, you know, so we should just accept these black people in here about exactly the same. So don't fall for that narrative is all I'm trying to say. Well, my, my issue on this, I, I just want to throw in my two pence on this. I've got no problem with people who don't go as far as what we do. I've got no problem with people. I call them gateway individuals. I, uh, they're essentially people who um, others, normies, start their political journey with them and then they work their way towards us because the truth is something that's addictive it's something you want more of so you mm -hmm. might start your journey annoyed about immigration and end it with us discussing certain aspects of internationalism or who owns the media and all of a sudden you realize there's a bigger picture and you we take people to the end of their political journey to the logical conclusions and i'm all up for these gateway people bringing in newbies bringing in normies but where i draw the line is when I see people using it um, for some kind of, to create a personality cult around themselves where they make an awful lot of money and then they bring people in but put a gateway between those people and us by disavowing with us. Now if these people bring people in, keep their mouths shut and allow those people to finish their political journey, then I'm happy to coexist with them and I'll never attack, yes. I'll never punch right, I'll never attack other people on our side. But I did speak out obviously against Paul Joseph Watson because he's one of these people. He brings people in with his sort of almost, you know, these jump cut videos that people with shorter attention spans like and then they see maybe one of our videos in the recommended links like oh what's that what's that video there on all right oh this richard spencer he's taking me further on my journey but where i draw the line is then when he puts out one of these disavowals or makes a mockery or punches at people like myself who are being exposed on a documentary and the reason i'm being exposed and he isn't not that it was anything of an expose, is because I'm actually trying to build something that will dismantle the system, whereas he is right. simply profiting off the system's failures. And that's the big difference between us and them. They're making a living off the system failing and people's anger, but we're trying to channel people's anger into a productive movement that dismantles the system. And that, to me, is the huge, huge gulf. I agree. Okay, well, we've actually been going for two hours now so um it's time wow. for us to wrap up and uh yeah just i'd just like to ask for any kind of closing comments let's start with brie do you have anything you'd like to say no this has been really fun <laughs> well i just say you can follow me at twitter.com steve franson always looking to learn always looking to grow uh and you know it's been a, a real pleasure so thank you for coming on the show richard Oh, the, the pleasure has been mine, and I would definitely like to come back. And uh, just real quick, uh, for those uh, you know coming to the, the MPI conference on, 19th, on the 19th of November, uh, never fear. Uh, it's going to be privatized. 
but uh, but we're going to still have a lot of fun. So I will see you then. So can people find out how to attend, or is this invite only? Um, I don't think we're going. Uh, you know, I I can invite some people who I I can trust to attend, but we are basically going to maintain the levels that we have. The, the conference effectively sold out in about 72 hours. Uh -huh. This also shows where, this was um, before Charlottesville, and um, the it was a very small conference to, beginning, to begin with, because at the Reagan building, we, we had a smallish room that maxed out at 120 or something. Um, and uh, so our, we put up you know, the availability, and it was just sold out. It was really remarkable. I, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, the, in 2011, MPI had a conference and we like advertised it for months and we had like 75 people, you know, after sending out tens of thousands of emails and all this kind of stuff. Now I just announce it and boom. So we're just going to stick with this some, it's like 95 or so people. Um, we're actually kind of vetting those lists uh, just to make sure that everyone's good. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can make some additional personal invites of people I know, but we, but we are going to just maintain this smallish group. Um, I am going to find solutions going forward, whether it's with the public facilities or larger private groups, I'll find a solution. But for what we're doing right now, we just have to kind of circle the wagons and make something work and, and have a lot of fun too, but just make this work. And then later on, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a, uh, you know, a solution for the future. Great. And yeah, I think it's very valuable to, um, you know, have these kind of uh, more intimate events as well as yeah. the public ones. I think they both have a role to play. Uh, let's hear closing comments from Mark, please. I just want to say um, huge thank you, obviously, to Richard for coming on and to the regular panelists. I've never worked with Richard before, but tonight's been a huge pleasure. He's been a great inspiration to me. And he's someone that, you know, I've always batted for. Back when people were giving him rubbish about the hail Trump comments, I produced a video supporting him. <laughs> I believe that he's doing the right thing and he's a man of integrity. We talked about integrity the other day. And this is a guy who's got that. This is a guy you can get behind. Um, and I'm behind him and I think he's doing great work. But I also want to say, I'm behind all you guys in the chat and everyone watching. And I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's come and supported us tonight. Because a few weeks ago, this documentary thing was going around. And we we did a special show prepping for this documentary, saying it could be bad. We don't know. And everyone here, um, and this is a big thank you to Tara, Stephen, and Bree, who are very good friends of mine. And they stuck by me like family. All three of them were like, it doesn't matter what goes on. We're on the show with you. We want you on the show. Whatever they say, we're sticking together as a team. And you guys also stuck together with us as a team. And that means the world to me. And this is what we're doing. We're not individualists. We're not libertarians. We're building a family. We're building a collective. We're building people who are coming together as a community. And that is what makes us strong. Now, that documentary sank without a trace. And believe me, everyone who's here tonight and stuck with us, thank you and thank you for having faith thank you for believing in us and realizing that we could weather the storm together and believe me and i mean this when we stick together during the storm that is the important thing and then we get to walk together singing in the sunshine because that's how it works and those who didn't stick with us through the storm well, shame on them, because they played into Hope Not Hate's hands. And Hope Not Hate didn't have any killer cards. They didn't have a winning hand. They had nothing. They weren't holding aces. They were holding twos, threes, and fours. It was nothing. So all those who folded, 
and didn't stick with us, you made the wrong choice. Because we're here tonight. This has been one of the best shows we've ever done. Thank you for sticking by us. And believe, believe me, you know, we can't do this without you. We are one big family. And that is the way we win. So thank you again to everyone. My friends on the panel, Richard Spencer, and all you wonderful people. Your support means the world to me. So thank you. Yeah, and I will also add, if you are looking to add to your book list, Full of Western Man is Mark's book and it comes highly recommended. Um, so I want to say again, big thank you to our special guest, Richard Spencer. We will definitely have you on again. Uh, I think this has been a very productive uh, conversation. Everyone got their questions answered. Um, and I think we've even got some leftover questions for next time as well. So thanks to everyone for joining us. Um, and we'll see you again on Wednesday, same time, same place. Bye-bye.